Chapter Three of the Romantic by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Three. Charlotte sat on the top of the slope in the field below Barrow Farm. John Conway lay at her feet. The tall beeches stood round them in an unclosed ring. Through the opening, she could see the farmhouse three ball-topped gables the middle one advancing the front built out there in a huge door-place that carried a cross-windowed room under its roof low heavy-browed mullions the panes black shining slits in the grey and gold of the stone all their rooms hers and gwinnie's under the near gable by the fir-trees mr and mrs burton's under the far gable by the elms john's by itself in the middle jutting out she could see the shallow garden dammed up to the house out of the green field by its wall spilling trails of mauve campanula brimming with pink flocks and white flocks the blue spires of the lupins piercing up through the froth sunday evening half an hour before milking time from september nineteen thirteen to december to march nineteen fourteen to june she had been at the farm nine months june may april this time three months ago john had come in the bottom of the field at the corner by the yard gate under the elms she could see gwinnie astride over the tilted bucket feeding the calves it was gwinnie's turn she heard the house door open and shut the burtons came down the flagged path between the lavender bushes leaving them to their peace before milking time looking down she saw john's eyes blinking up at her through their lashes his chest showed a red-brown v in the open neck of his sweater he had been quiet a long time his voice came up out of his quietness sudden and queer keep your head like that one minute looking down i want your eyelids now i know what what you're like you're like jeanne d'arc there's a picture the photo of a stone head i think in a helmet looking down with big drooped eyelids if it isn't jeanne it ought to be anyhow it's you that's what's been bothering me i thought it was just because you had black hair bobbed like a fifteenth-century page but it isn't that it's her forehead and her blunt nose and her innocent heroic chin and the thick beautiful mouth and the look as if she could see behind her eyelids dreadful things going to happen to her all the butchery i don't see any dreadful things going to happen to me no her sight was second sight and your sight is memory you never forget things i shall call you jeanne you ought to wear armour and a helmet his voice ceased and began again what are you thinking of i don't know i don't think much ever she was wondering what he would think if he knew she wondered what the farm would be like without him would it be what it was last autumn and winter and in the spring before he came but she had been happy all that time without him even in the hard frost-biting winter when you had gone through that you knew the worst of barrow farm it made your face coarse though joan of arc was a peasant no wonder she was beginning to look like her if john went john shall you stay on here i don't know i shall stick to farming if that's what you mean though it isn't what i wanted what did you want to go into the army why didn't you then they wouldn't have me there's something wrong with my eyes 
so the land's got me instead. Me too, we ought to have been doing this all our lives. We'll jolly well have to, we shall never be any good indoors again. Has old Burton said anything? I'm getting on, I can drive as straight a furrow as any man in Gloucestershire. I've told my father that. He detests me, but he'd say you ought to work up from the plough-tail if you must farm. He turned all of us through his workshops before he took us into the business. He liked to see us soaked in dirt and oil, crawling on our stomachs under his engines. He'd simply love to see me here, standing up to my knees in wet cow-dung. He wouldn't mind your leaving him? Not if I make a good thing out of this. Anyhow, he knows he can't keep me off it. If I can't fight, I'll farm. It's in my blood and nerves and memory. He sits there selling motor-cars, but his people were fighting men. They fought to get land. They fought to keep it. My mother's people, the Rodens, were yeoman farmers. That's why my furrow's so straight. And that's why you came here? No, that isn't why. Aren't you glad you came? Did you ever feel anything like the peace of it? It's not the peace of it I want, Charlotte. Jeanne, I mean. It's the fight. Fighting with things that would kill you if you didn't. Wounding the earth to sow in it and make it feed you. Plowing, Charlotte Jeanne. Feeling the thrust and the drive through and the thing listing over on the slope. Seeing the steel blade shine and the long wounds coming in rows, hundreds of wounds, wet and shining. What makes you think of wounds? I don't know. I see it like that, cutting through. I don't see it like that one bit. The earth's so kind, so beautiful. And the hills, look at them. The clean, quiet backs, smoothed with light. You could stroke them. And the fields, those lovely colored fans opening and shutting. They're lovely because of what's been done to them. If those hills had been left to themselves, there'd have been nothing on them but trees. Think of the big fight with the trees, the hacking through, the cutting, the trunk staggering and falling. You'd begin with a little hole in the forest like that gap in the belt on the skyline, and you'd go on hacking and cutting. You'd go on. If you didn't, those damned trees would come up around you and jam you between their trunks and crush you to red pulp. Supposing this belt of beeches drew in and got tighter and tighter. No, there's nothing really kind and beautiful on this earth except your face, and even your face. My face? Could be cruel, but it never will be. Something's happened to it, some cruelty, some damnable cruelty. What makes you think so? Every kind and beautiful thing on earth, Joan, has been made so by some cruelty. That's all rot, utter rot. You don't know what you're talking about. It's milking time. There's Gwynny semaphoring. Do you know old Burton's going to keep us on? He'll pay us wages from this quarter. He says we were worth our keep from the third day. Do you want to stay on here? Rather. Very well, then, so do I. That settles it. Get up, she said, and come along. Gwynny's frantic. He sat up, bowed forwards, his hands hanging loose over his knees. She stood and looked down at him, at the arch of his long, slender back dropping to the narrow hips. She could feel the sudden crush of her breath in her chest and the sighing throb in her throat and her lips parting. He grasped the hands she stretched out to him at arm's length. She set her teeth and pressed her feet to the ground and leaned back, her weight against his weight, tugging. He came up to his feet, alert, laughing at the heavy strength of her pull. 
as they ran down the field he still held loosely like a thing forgotten her right hand through the long june night on her bed in the room under the gable the hot room that smelt of plaster and of the apples stored in the loft behind it she lay thinking gwinnie had turned her back burrowing into her pillow with a final shrug of her hips she was asleep now in her corner if i were you i wouldn't think about him charlie she knew what gwinnie meant but thinking was one thing and caring was another thinking was the antidote to caring if she had let her mind play freely over gibson herbert in the beginning but gibson stopped her thinking and john conway made her think that was the difference there was nothing about john that was like gibson not a look not a gesture not the least thought in his mind his mind was like his body clean and cold and beautiful set on fire only by dreams loving you in a dream a dream that burned him up and left him cold to you cold and clean there were things she laid up against him the poor dear a secret hoard of grievances now clear to her in the darkness she found herself turning them over and over as if positively her mind owed his romantic apathy a grudge little things she remembered three things yesterday in the hayfield john pitching hay onto the cart and she standing on the top of the load flattening down the piles as he swung them up gwinnie came with a big fork swanking for fun trying to pitch a whole haycock in the dark of the room she could see gwinnie's little body straining back from the waist her legs stiffening her face pink and swollen and john's face looking at gwinnie she shouted down at him why can't you take the damn thing she'll break her back with it and he shouted up that's her lookout but he took it he didn't like gwinnie that time and the time cowslip calved the darling choosing the one night old burton was away and jim down with flu she had to hold the lantern straw littered in the half-lighted shed cowslip swinging her bald-faced head round to you her humble sorrowful eyes imploring between her groans and the convulsive heavings of her flanks a noise between a groan and a bellow a supreme convulsion the dark wall the white funnel of light from the lantern and john's face in the flash but he had been sorry for cowslip going out with the lantern afterwards she had found him in the yard by the wall bent double shivering and retching and she had sung out to him buck up john she's licked it clean it's the dearest little calf you ever saw pity pity could drag your face tight and hard like burton's when his mare jenny died of colic but before that the night they went to stow fair together crossing the street at the sharp turn by the church gate something happened they hadn't heard the motor-car coming it was down on them before they could see it swerving round her side of the street he had had his hand tight on her arm to steer her through the crowd when the car came when the car came he let go and jumped clean to the curb she could feel the splashboard graze her thigh as she sprang clear of it quick like a dog she was sure he jumped first she was sure he hadn't let her go before the car came she could see the blaze of the lamps and feel his grip slacken on her arm she wasn't sure he couldn't have jumped he couldn't have let go of course he hadn't she had imagined it she imagined all sorts of things if she could make them bad enough she would stop thinking about him she would stop caring she didn't want to care charlotte 
When I die, that's where I'd like to be buried. Coming back from Borton Market, they had turned into the churchyard on the top of Stowe Hill. The long path went straight between the stiff yew cones through the green fields set with graves. On the top, so high up, you could almost breathe in your coffin here. I don't want to breathe in my coffin. When I'm dead, I'm dead, and when I'm alive, I'm alive. Don't talk about dying. Why not? Think of the gorgeous risk of it, the supreme toss-up. After all, death's the most thrilling thing that happens. Whose death? My death. Don't talk about it. Your death, then. Oh, mine. Our death, Jeanne. He turned to her in the path. His mouth was hard now, but his eyes shone at her, smiling, suddenly warm, suddenly tender. She knew herself then. She knew there was one cruelty, one brutality beyond bearing. John's death. End of chapter 3. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.